Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, we're glad you're here, and uh, I hope uh, that today the Lord will just continue to speak powerfully to you and to, in your heart and your mind uh, as we look again together at the book of Nehemiah. If you are joining us here for the first time this week, uh, we're studying the book of Nehemiah, and this is the third week in that book, and it's been a really great few weeks. So we kicked things off by looking at chapter 1. We started in chapter 1, and we started looking at this really key moment in the life of Nehemiah, where he got some really tough news about how things were going back home in his homeland, that things were not going well for his people as they tried to rebuild. We talked about the idea that Nehemiah in that moment had what we, what's called a holy discontent moment, or a deep God-given longing for things to be different. We kind of connected that with maybe our own uh, holy discontent that God would give us about what we see in our context and our world and the needs around us. We saw that Nehemiah's initial response was to sit down, to weep, to fast, and to pray as he mourned for his people. We talked about how significant it was that he goes to prayer in the moment of crisis. For him, we know that's not always very easy to do, that he didn't run away from the, the discomfort that he felt. Uh, he didn't despair, and he didn't try to take things into his own hands. All things which we can do uh, in times of crisis. And last week, we looked at Nehemiah's prayer, the actual prayer that was recorded in the second half of chapter 1, and we saw that Nehemiah actually models a really ancient pattern of prayer that still has power today. We saw parallels with what was happening, uh, this, th- what was happening at Asbury and the movement of the Lord at that place, and what we see God doing here in our time today. And it's a pattern of prayer that we can practice, one that starts with an exaltation and adoration. It includes confession and repentance, and then ends with gratitude and a hopeful look forward to what God is doing here and now and what he will do, because God can and does meet the needs of our world. Amen? So we come to Nehemiah at the beginning of chapter two. We've just, that's all, that's chapter one. We've just covered chapter one. So we're starting in chapter two. We're not going to go like chapter by chapter for the rest of the series, but this stuff in the beginning is so, so good. So we come to Nehemiah at the beginning of chapter 2, and we find this fascinating exchange between Nehemiah and the king. So let's read that together. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, reads like this. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. Uh, You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. Super smart move right there. Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. What an exchange, right? I mean, we talked a little bit in week one about his role as the cupbearer and how that's actually a pretty neat role with, with a lot of influence and access to the king. But in this moment, Nehemiah had a really important kind of step forward. However, 
Uh, He didn't step forward right away. We'll see this here in a moment. Little did Nehemiah know that he was about to join some of the ranks of the champions of faith. That his name, after what he does in this moment and following, would be included with people like Abraham and Joseph and Moses, Joshua, Esther, and even David. One person can make a big difference in this world if that person knows and and relies on and trusts in God. One person can make a significant difference. Faith and trust are very important elements in what's happening right here in this story. Faith makes a difference. And you and I can make a difference in our world through faith in God and his plan for us. Martin Luther once said that faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. I love that. Isn't that a great way to think about faith? A living and daring confidence in God's grace. And wow, did Nehemiah need some faith and some trust in in God in this particular circumstance. He was about to embark on a long and very difficult journey. Actually, as you read the story, it it doesn't actually go too well. (laughs) We'll talk about that more in the weeks ahead. But the beginning of this journey for him requires a lot of faith and a lot of trust. Because there's something that happens that we don't expect at the beginning of this. See, we always want to jump to these verses here, right here in this conversation with the king. Where he's asking, what do you need? Because it's the action part of that conversation. It's really exciting. We're like, see, king's on on board. Let's go. (laughs) But the beginning of his journey requires a lot of faith and trust because the first thing that Nehemiah has to do is wait. (laughs) Nehemiah has to wait on God and God's timing. That's why faith and trust in God is so important. Waiting on God is tough, right? (laughs) Have you ever, that's a difficult thing to do. See, but in the verses that we just read, in the first verse, here's what we read. Early in the following spring, this is after chapter 1, in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. There's a little detail in here that lets us know that between, at the end of chapter 1, that this, this prayer of desperation for God to do something, to this moment where he gets to talk with the king, There's been about four months, four months of waiting and praying and asking God to do something. This is so tough. Have you ever had to wait on God when you're all fired up about something? When you have a holy discontent and you want to go and you have to wait. (laughs) Nehemiah has a holy discontent, a God-given longing to see something different in his world. And if Nehemiah is anything like me, I get into Get it done mode, right? For God, for I know the plans I have for you. Let's do this thing. <laughs> I'm feeling moved by the Spirit. I need, we see a need in our world. I'm, I, I'm discontented, so let's get going. With all this longing and stirring in his heart, Nehemiah had to wait on God. So difficult. Uh, One commentator said this about Nehemiah, that Nehemiah was a man of decisive action. And when he prayed, it was natural for him to ask God to provide an early, if not immediate, opportunity for him to speak to the king. That was what we read at the end of his prayer in chapter 1. Give your servant success today. But as he went from his prayer to daily work in the Persian court, he began to realize that although today was his preferred day, it might not be God's. 
Have you ever experienced that in your life? Part of the importance of waiting, I think, is so that we don't get ahead of what God is doing. There's an important moment for God's people right in the middle of the Exodus story where Moses, and you might remember this verse, where Moses says to God in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, if you don't go with us, we are not taking another step. This is important. The idea of waiting on God and God's timing is important. Learning to wait is an important spiritual formation practice. It's learning to tune our hearts and tune our minds into what God is doing and asking, can we hear his spirit? (laughs) Through prayer, through scripture, is God speaking? And am I being led by his voice? filled with his spirit and his power. It's about not getting ahead of God. We've talked at the end of our prayer series about participating in what God is already doing, recognizing that God is already moving and that we are participants with it. (laughs) You know, we have a few times a year in our uh, our church, our, our normal church rhythms that are built for waiting on God. Uh, Advent, the time just before Christmas, is one of those times where we look at texts about longing for God to do something, for God, people are waiting for God uh, to, to deliver, to bring a Savior. Another one of the seasons that is built into our normal rhythms that teaches us to wait is the one that we just entered. You heard Casey talk about it, you heard Pastor Holly talk about it, which is Lent. So Lent is the 40 days minus the Sundays between Ash Wednesday and Easter. We just entered that time uh, this last week. This last Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday. Lent is a season where we set aside time for an intensified focus and waiting on God for his saving work, which we then celebrate on Resurrection Sunday at Easter. It's a time where, like Nehemiah, that we, we, are, we, we set aside to pray, to fast, to confess, to reflect, to long for God's saving work, which we then get to celebrate on Easter. It's a wonderful. So Nehemiah was praying and waiting on God to save his people in Judah. Things are not going well, and God needs to step forward and do something. At Christmas time, we hear about people waiting for God's saving work, which is celebrated in the birth of Jesus. At the end of Lent, at Easter, we celebrate God's saving work uh, through the resurrection of Jesus after his death. None of those things, whether it's Nehemiah's crew in Judah, the, the birth of Jesus, the beginning of, you know, God's, the next step in God's rescue plan, or his saving work on the cross, is anything that you and I can do, right? <laughs> we couldn't have even come up with that. We need God to do the work. That's part of what waiting does for us. Waiting on God and his timing is hard. But what it does is help us put the onus of God's rescue and his work in this world back on God. (laughs) It doesn't mean we don't have a part to play. We do. Uh, We have to be ready to participate when God moves. Uh, But the work that is needed in this world, the rescue and redemption of all things, is not of our own making. That's God's work to do, and we participate in it. Do we have ears to hear, eyes to see? Do we have spirits that recognize and wait on God? God is the initiator. He is the originator, and we participate in his plans. I hope we're encouraged as we see Nehemiah's waiting here. 
uh, because even though waiting on God isn't always the easiest thing to do, it can have incredible impact on both our faith and our ability to trust in God. Because both our faith and our trust in God can be strengthened in waiting. And sometimes that's hard to realize, but it can be strengthened in waiting. Because in waiting, God shifts the focus for the outcome. To, it's all back onto God where it belongs in the first place. Okay, God, this is your rescue plan, and what's needed is beyond us. So we're going to trust you to do it. We're going to have faith that you will accomplish it. One commentator wrote, Youthful strength is insufficient. (laughs) Most of the time you don't realize that until you're older, right? (laughs) Youthful strength is insufficient. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up on wings like eagles. And they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Isaiah 40, 31. In Isaiah 33, verse 2, the prophet writes this. But Lord, uh, be merciful to us. For we have waited for you. You be our strong arm uh, each day and our salvation in times of trouble. The enemy runs at the sound of your voice. When you stand up, the nations flee. Exodus 14, 13 says, But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch uh, the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Psalm 46, 10. We know this one. Be still and know that I am God. So many times in scripture, when we're admonished to wait, it's always connected to the strength that comes from God. (laughs) A reminder that it's God that does the rescuing, that God that gives the strength. When you wait on the Lord, you're not wasting your time. You're investing in your faith. You're trusting God. You're learning to do that. God, this is beyond me. I have to trust you. Even the disciples had to wait for a bit. For almost six weeks, the first Christians did exactly what Jesus told them to do in Acts chapter 1. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and fill you. There was a vast world waiting to hear about the resurrection. But at that moment, in prayerful dependence and obedience, listening was their greater responsibility. Waiting on God to come and fill them for the work. Listen, everyone, don't get ahead of what Jesus is doing. You're going to need to wait for his power to come on you in the Holy Spirit. This type of waiting requires us to loosen our grip on things that we might want to control. That's hard to do. Did you know uh, that some of the leaders and the pastors that are connected with what is happening or what's been happening at Asbury have been praying for renewal and outpouring of God's Spirit for decades? (laughs) They had to wait. (laughs) God was faithful in his response. I've had so many conversations with people over the last few weeks all saying the same thing. And I'm a little bit grieved to admit this, but I think it's important (laughs) I think I doubted that God could move like what we've seen over the past few weeks in our world any longer. (laughs) There's too much brokenness, we might say. Too much disunity, too much violence. God, is there any hope? (laughs) A couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure how I would have answered that. I'm being honest. But the answer is yes, there is hope. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) We are seeing it with our very eyes. Lord, forgive me for doubting what you can do. 
Renew my trust. Help me to wait on you and your timing and the movement of your spirit. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. (laughs) So I stand here open-hearted, open-handed, praying for God's renewing spirit to move through our church and in Snohomish and all of our neighborhoods (laughs) that are represented here. God, do that work. We've been praying for that so long. We're not going to force God. We're going to wait on God. We're going to believe that he can and will do that type of work. Amen? What the scripture teaches me is that I should not try to force God's hand, but prayerfully seek God's direction and wait for God's timing. And then, when the time comes, step forward with confidence, faith, and action. That's the next step of what we see in this chapter with Nehemiah. That after months of waiting, maybe even doubting that God had even heard him in his prayer or his weeping or his wailing or his fasting, Nehemiah gets his chance. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me, which is good because he's the cupbearer, right? (laughs) You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the moment the king asked, well, how can I help you? (laughs) And I love, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, (laughs) if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, uh, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. What a moment for Nehemiah. Maybe one he thought would never come four months on. I can't help but wonder what would have happened if Nehemiah had tried to get ahead of God, knowing he had this discontent, saying, okay, I'm going to quit the cupbearer gig, and I'm going to do whatever I can to get back home and help out, (laughs) right? What if he'd quit before this moment and ventured out on his own? I'm guessing that would have been disastrous. He waited and he prayed, and here is his moment. And one commentator wrote about this moment. What an opportunity for Nehemiah. All the power and wealth of the Persian kingdom are wrapped up in this question. How can I help you? That's a fascinating, I mean, that's an incredible insight. God's timing almost always includes God's provision for what's ahead. If Nehemiah had tried to get ahead of God and done it on his own, he would not have all the resources wrapped up in the king's question, how can I help you? It's a God-given moment (laughs) that like only God can do. After decades of prayer that resulted in the outpouring of God's power and his presence, we've seen that the last couple of weeks in a way like this generation has never seen before. (laughs) And it's here for Nehemiah, and it includes a grace-filled opportunity from a pagan king that Nehemiah thought was impossible. I love that Nehemiah's faith and trust in the Lord had seemingly grown over time. His heart was tuned into God, and he was able to recognize this opportunity. I love that line. Uh, Almost kind of an aside moment where he says, Oh, with a prayer to the God of heaven, (laughs) if it please the king, I'm going to ask. Right? What a moment. Yikes, it's time, right? Nehemiah recognizes it, and he steps forward, and he goes for it. Because in the verses that follow where we've stopped our passage, Nehemiah asks for even more Check this out. 
in Nehemiah verses 2, 4 through 8. Well, the king asked, well, how can I help you? That's the God-given moment with all the resources of the kingdom wrapped up into that, in that question. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, well, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. And then I also said to the king, If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. He's going for it. He's asking. And he even asks for more. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. (laughs) I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. Waiting on God can be so difficult. But you see that in the waiting, tuning our heart and mind to God, to God's direction, to God's provision, he gives us what what we need. He gives us the strength to step forward. And Nehemiah has the courage to say, thanks for your permission. Oh, by the way, I need all this stuff. (laughs) And the king agreed because God had worked it out. Amen. (laughs) Nehemiah waited, faithfully prayed, trusted God, and had faith. Worship team, would you come on back up? He spent a long time waiting on the Lord for a very large burden. And through faith in God and trusting God to come through, Nehemiah's heart was softened toward God and the king's heart was softened toward Nehemiah. He didn't get ahead of God, but he waited. Then he was able to recognize the moment that God decided to move and he stepped into it with everything that he had. Thanks, king. Can I have all this stuff? (laughs) Let's go. Where might you need to wait on God this morning? With an open heart, open mind. Is there a place where God's asking you to linger and to wait, not to get ahead of what he's doing? If God is leading you in a particular direction, are you stepping forward in the faith that you've been developing, trusting God to give you what you need and give you the strength? Do we have the courage to say, yes, God, let's go? Those are two great questions for you to reflect on this week as you spend your time with the Lord in prayer and scripture. Reread this. Go and look through Nehemiah chapter 2 and ask the Lord to speak to you. As we enter into a season that's built for us to wait, have a more intensified focus on what the Lord might be speaking to us in these days. Let's pray.